0: Chapter 24, verses 44 through 53. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be, pro- to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are, w- <clears throat> you are witnesses to these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised, so stay here. The words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you give me a small ball of water for the baptism,
1: please? I invite you to pray once more with me. Lord, may the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be acceptable unto you. Amen. Americans don't like to wait, do we? Standing in lines is something none of us like, and yet we do it. We wait in lines all the time. We wait in line at the Walmart. I particularly hate waiting in line at the Walmart. At the ATM, I've waited in line. At Disney World for Splash Mountain. Any of you done the wait at Disney World? Or perhaps uh, Universal, when you went to go see Hogwarts. Any of you guys get to do that? Ah, there's somebody that got to do that. All right. All right. That was a long wait. A very long wait. Last year, with COVID-19, my husband and I were in Panama when it took hold. We had gone on a vacation. The only one we got, of course, to take last year. As it ended, the United States had shut down. We were very fortunate that our flight was allowed in. And it was very spooky to drive back into Baton Rouge and see no traffic. It was as if a nuclear bomb had gone off and everybody, either that or the, the, everybody had been assumed into heaven. <laughs> there was no one around. Before we left Panama, we were trying to get some supplies to get on to the airplane. Face masks were a priority, and so were gloves. We thought we needed them. We knew so little then. And so we went to a very large grocery store that also was three floors. It was in a mall, and it had a department store as well. And so there we were standing at the counters to go and um, uh, get our items, buy them. And as you can see, there were crowds of people all around us, everywhere, every aisle was just filled with people. And I couldn't believe how crowded it was. It was so jammed. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, we're going to be here forever. And this is going to be terrible. Well, schools had let out. And you can't see it, but there were a lot of kids there. There were a lot of grandparents that were going to end up taking care of kids. And so many of the families had two and three grocery carts full of groceries standing in line. The thing was, what was so phenomenal no one panicked, no one was in a hurry, no one was pushing or angry or upset. As a matter of fact, we had fun. We got to know the family behind us. They were laughing at how this huge basket of food was probably going to be gone in three days because they had two adolescents that were staying in their house. We got to know them quite well in the 45 minutes to an hour that we stood there in line with them. We told stories and we laughed together. You know, it was the best waiting I think I've ever done. Well, the disciples were waiting, weren't they? They were waiting, though. They were waiting in fear, wondering what was going to come next. We know from the Gospels that over a period of several days, Jesus appeared to them individually and as a whole in Galilee, in Jerusalem, and in Emmaus, or on the road to Emmaus. According to Luke, When Jesus appears to the disciples in Jerusalem, at first they think he's a ghost. When you read the scripture, they're afraid and they want to pull away and they don't know who it is that is there. And yet they, he tells them, I am not a ghost. Touch me and see. I am flesh and blood. And then he asks them for some food. And since they have been fishing, they have some broiled fish. And he takes it and eats it in front of them to prove that he is indeed alive before them. And then it says Jesus opens their minds to the scriptures and helps them to understand everything that has taken place in the biblical record from the beginning until now so that they can understand his purpose, his mission, having been on earth. He explains to them the reasoning behind the law of Moses and and all the words of the prophets and the Psalms and how they all led to his coming. You see, Jesus represents God in human form. The word become flesh, as we say in the Gospel of John. The one who fulfills everything that God has said through the law and the prophets and the Psalms christ is the very embodiment of god's love among them but jesus also knows that's a lot for people to absorb it's a lot for us to absorb it takes us years to understand jesus purpose so for not only the disciples for us as well we have to open our minds to understand the scriptures and so jesus particularly gave the disciples a gift of understanding so that they could comprehend better what was going on from that beginning of time until that moment when he appeared, risen from the dead. He opens their minds to understand everything and that they too will be going out to proclaim the forgiveness of sins and baptize all people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They will go to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. Jesus also goes on to promise his followers, they will be clothed with power from on high. Now, he doesn't talk about what that's going to look like. He doesn't say where it's going to be. He just says, you will be clothed with power from on high. And he says, see, I am sending you what my father has promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power. And then they would head out into the mission field. But they had to wait from the power that came from on high. They had to wait. Jesus then takes them out to Bethany, very few miles away, but about three to five miles outside Jerusalem. He blesses them one last time. And then while he is blessing them, he is assumed up into heaven, carried up as it were. If you remember the old story of Elijah, he too is carried away on a fiery chariot into heaven. So Jesus, so Jesus is taken up into heaven. And why? Because his mission is finished. He has shown God's love for all people in everything that he did and his earthly work is done for their part the disciples are as amazed as any of us would be can you just see them standing there I mean don't you feel like you'd be doing that just standing there wondering well I wonder what just happened right oh come on folks that's funny it's <laughs> funny I mean, we all do that every once in a while when you see a beautiful star or something up in the sky or watching a, 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 an airplane, um, what is it called, a trail, you know, up in the, and you, you're just looking. Well, that's, I'm standing outside the disciples and I'm looking and I'm thinking, boy, they must have really looked funny. Anyway, so they're just standing there, their mouths hanging open, looking up into the heavens. And two men in white appear to them, looking at them. And what do they say? And of Galilee, why are you just standing there looking up into heaven? You see, it was funny for them as well. This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Now that's from Acts, the first chapter. Remember, Luke and Acts go together. The second, the Luke of Acts, is a continuation of all the gospel that Luke has told us. So Acts goes on to tell us how over the next 50 days, the disciples gather in this upper room daily to break bread, to worship together, to pray together. They go to the temple. They discuss all that they have been through, and they come to a better understanding of who they are as Christ followers than they've had before. But there's still one thing missing, the power of the Holy Spirit. And the same is true for us. This is just the way God works in our lives, in our life, in our work, in our faith. We have to wait on God. We can do nothing alone. We must wait on God. Now, many Christians, and I have been one at different points and times in my life, believe that there must be a shortcut must be a shortcut to accomplishing what we want. And so our bookstores are filled with self-help books, five strategies to success, four principles to better finances, and, and five steps to a better you. But everything that we try, any book that we might buy or article we that might read, is not going to do it unless God is in our daily life. That's just the way it is. God has to be there first and all things come after. Being faithful as a Christian isn't a checklist or a strategy. Christian discipleship is a journey. It's a journey of ups and downs, of wrong turns and rocky roads. Our journey of faith is truly a road less traveled. It's a process of learning and growing in faith. For our confirmands, all of you, and I'm looking at you, Sutton, yes I am. It's a process, and it's just begun in earnest, I'm sorry to say. Today is just the beginning, Lily. Yeah. I see you. There's so much more to learn and to do. Right, Landon? Okay. And and in the meantime, we're patiently, and sometimes impatiently, waiting for our life to begin, to unfold, for the next thing to happen. Faithful discipleship for every single one of us, whether we're 11 going on twelve or where 82 is about waiting on God, waiting and walking forward with prayer and fasting, solitude and silence through worship and fellowship with one another and through study of the scriptures. We all think that there's something else, some kind of magic poof that's going to happen, but there really isn't. That's what it is. The path of discipleship is not what we want, what we think, or what we plan, even as a church. But what God's plan, God's timing, God's method, God's mission is. Everything else in life, and it takes a long time to learn this, is window dressing. And sometimes, sometimes, joy does come in the waiting as it did for my husband and I in Panama while we were waiting in that crowd. We got to, find, to meet some really great people and to share our own anxieties and our worries about traveling home to the United States and wondering what was going to happen next. So joy can come in the waiting. Luke goes on to tell us that after Jesus ascended, his disciples did return to Jerusalem with great joy. They were continually blessing God in the temple. They were praying together. They weren't sitting around moaning about having to wait. They were actively waiting. And I think that's a hard thing for us as Americans particularly to consider. Can we actively wait? Yes. We can wait with purpose, you see. We can wait prayerfully. We can wait on God. You know, there are several instances in the Bible where the people wait for God to act as examples for each one of us. Consider the Israelite slaves in Egypt and how for generations they toiled in the mud making bricks for the pyramids and for other building projects. And finally, when Moses was an adult married and a shepherd, God comes to him finally and says, I have observed the misery of my people. Indeed, I know their sufferings and I have come to deliver them. Or perhaps you remember the story of Job and how miserable his life was. I always, we talk about the patience of Job. But boy, he was noisy about it. He complained an awful lot. And finally, finally... After so many pleas for justice from God, he is answered by God. Or how in the Psalms, the psalmist in Psalm 69 writes, My eyes grow ever dim, waiting for the Lord. And then, toward the end of the New Testament, when they are expecting Jesus' return, as was promised in the book of Acts, While you are waiting, Peter writes, And in this context, it's for Christ's return. Strive to be found by him at peace. I think those are good words to remember. While you are waiting, be at peace. So, we think, you know, that we're waiting on God. But I think, I believe, actually, that God is waiting on us. God is waiting for us to take our faith seriously. God's waiting for us to actively participate in our faith. If we're just ticking off a list of things to do when we come to worship or sit down to pray, we aren't ready to hear anything that God really has to say to us. And so we continue in this kind of waiting time, wondering what's going to happen next. And here it is, God waiting on us to reveal what God has to say. So our challenge is to take our faith very seriously. And that's what today is all about for those who are being confirmed. Our confirmands are taking their faith very seriously. And so now is the time to commit, to commit our our life. Our time, our every moment to God. Put God first. The time is now to, for all of us to be lifted up, strengthened, and warmed by God's grace and love. The time is now for each of us to commit our way solely to God. And then our way, wherever it takes us on our journey, will be blessed. Again, we may think that we're waiting on God. But perhaps God is waiting on us. Amen.